Hello and welcome to the Forget What You Think You Know podcast. I'm Paulette Hamilton. I'm the Cabinet Member for Adult Social Care and Health in Birmingham. Something I really do enjoy doing is my initial role as a local councillor in the Olliard Ward in Birmingham City Council. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jim McManus, Director of Public Health at Artfordshire County Council, Julie Yates, the Lead Consultant for Screening and Immunisation at Public Health England, and Eleanor Kelly, Chief Executive at Southwark Council and National Advisor on Vaccinations. Today, the panel and I will be discussing the rollout of the vaccination programme, the important role of the NHS, councils and local partners, and how collectively we can keep up the fight against COVID. We will also be looking at some of the contentious issues around vaccinations like vaccine hesitancy and health inequalities, and how we as local champions can come together to address them. So, without further ado, let's get to it. So, so uh, my name is Jim McManus, I'm Director of Public Health for Hertfordshire, as Paulette said. I'm Vice President of the Association of Directors of Public Health, and um, I'm a chartered psychologist by background as well, as someone who's worked in um, public health for many years. So at, at worst, the vaccine performs a bit like a seatbelt. It may not stop you having an accident, but it will stop you dying. At best, the vaccine will stop transmission. But it's not the only tool in the box. We still have to do prevention uh, and everything else. So all the physical distancing and hygiene measures we will still need to keep on with. The second key thing about vaccines is that viruses produce variants. That's just normal. And um, when you're rolling out a vaccine, at the same time that the virus is circulating, that's a dangerous time to get new variants that can evade the vaccine. So the things we have to do there are, firstly, get maximum uptake of the vaccine, and secondly, get maximum prevention. So things like self-isolation and testing and prevention become more important than ever. The vaccines will be a part of our strategy going forward, but we need to give the vaccine a helping hand. Julie, I want you to try and beat that. If you could just give us a bit of an introduction, I would really appreciate it. Well, it's quite hard to top what Jim has already said, but I I agree completely. This is what we were looking for when COVID was first um, identified. Um, I think it's important to recognise that we have built this vaccination programme on the back of all the knowledge and experience that we have of our very successful population vaccination programmes in the UK. So we have um, very effective means of of giving vaccines, of making sure that they're safe. We've got the structures behind this and we've got all the organisations and um, expertise in our directors of public health, in our health service, Um, and also in the wider NHS and community structures to be able to deliver this in a very, very effective way. I think some of that is important in actually building the confidence that we need in the population 
um, particularly when we are bringing in vaccines um, at pace and it's at speed, um, because there will, there will be some concerns about whether corners have been cut, but it, building it on the back of what we already know means that we, we don't. We've got the structures there. We know that, as Jim said, this vaccine is very safe. Um, the it's as expected, it's performing as it did in the trials and many, many people have been saved, uh, their lives have been saved and we've reduced the number of hospitalisations hugely significantly already as a result of vaccinating the most vulnerable people in the, in the community. That's fantastic, Julie, fantastic. Can I go swiftly on to Eleanor, Eleanor Kelly, um, if you could give us um, an introduction, please. Thank you, uh, Paulette. I'm Eleanor Kelly. I'm the, Lund the Chief Executive of the Lund Borough of Southwark, and I'm currently uh, seconded into the vaccination programme as the Local Authority Chief Executive National Advisor, which, which gives local government a voice within uh, the programme and out from the programme. Um, I'd just like to put what both Jim and Julie have said into context. As of today, we have delivered 22.7 million vaccinations, of which 21.4 are first vaccinations and 1.2 are second vaccinations. And that 1.2 will really rapidly rise now that we're um, past the sort of like eight, nine, ten weeks of um, people receiving their first um, doses. Um, so the, the vaccination programme has been progressing um, at pace. That, that achievement doesn't belong to the programme. It belongs to tens of thousands of frontline NHS and local government staff. It belongs to volunteers. It belongs to stuff like transport workers, warehouse operatives, delivery drivers, and many more, all who have played the most amazing part to ensure particularly that those most at risk groups have now been offered the life-saving vaccination. Getting to this point has been a huge logistical challenge that required months of planning, but also great agility. When the programme started, the NHS didn't know which of any vaccine would be approved or what conditions would be imposed on its use. Um, but to, to point out that when the experts said that the gap between the first and second doses could be extended, this actually happened within days. So a really fantastic effort and a really agile programme. And although this country is really well placed on vaccine supplies, compared to many other countries, we've still had to focus it carefully on those most at risk, which meant carefully ensuring that each area got its fair share. Um, and I think it would be fair to say there was some noise in the system as to whether or not that system really was fair, but, but, the, but the whole programme was focused on that. The vaccination programme, I think, would be a massive achievement in normal times. But to do so at the same time as local government was leading on food distribution and support for the most vulnerable, when public health teams were wrestling with really high infection rates and the NHS had been dealing with um, winter waves of infection that saw more than 100,000 people with COVID-19 admitted to hospital in January alone is nothing short of remarkable. And I think everyone involved um, across the NHS, across local government um, and across our communities should be incredibly proud. Um, and so that, and it really has been a team effort. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased to see that, that um, go, uh, governments and, and others recognise that and, that and that all of the praise and thanks doesn't actually just go to one sector. Um, it goes uh, uh, across the piece. Um, and moving forward, we really are sort of like focusing on the three factors identified by the World 
health organization, which are confidence, which is actually about vaccine hesitancy and confidence in the vaccine, as Julie said, convenience, which is about removing barriers um, to, access, to access, and complacency, which is about understanding the reasons for complacency in relation to not having the vaccine, which we think will continue to be and will and will rise um, as we move through to the, the younger um, cohorts. Can I say to all three of you, um, well done, but now I'm going to be awkward because I will be breaking down some of those broad brush statements so we can get some really intimate information. The question is, how, the va how has the vaccination um, programme in the areas that you've been involved in, most of you, we know it's been a great success, but how can we maintain this at a local level? And it, how, because we've got to live with COVID-19 in the future, what do you feel are the things we've got to do at a local level to ensure we can um, maintain the vaccine rollout? Now, I'm going to start with Eleanor on that one. The answer really is about getting hyper-local. Um, it's really sort of like addressing what needs to be done in a way that communities will respond to. Um, and for the most part, that will be designed and led by the communities because that's where their trusted voices will be um, and that's who they will listen to um, and that's who will really sort of like genuine, genuinely understand what the real barriers are um, within, those, uh, within those specific communities. Um, there's fantastic examples um, all over the country and we're involved in actually capturing those and being able to replicate those that show other people with similar demographics what's worked in other areas and be able to really sort of like understand what would work in each individual area really sort of like down to um, whether or not a particular sort of like communities would like to sort of like take over and run um, in, in a, apparently run is what I would sort of like say the vaccination centres is a fantastic example in the southwest um, where a vaccination um, the vaccination activity within within a mosque to all in intents and purposes is run by and for the community. In actual fact, it is part of the national programme, but that doesn't actually matter. That's what that's what helps to get the vaccine there. That's what helps to get the vaccinators there. But to all intents and purposes, it is a very, very locally run and therefore trusted um, way of getting um, vaccinations. Um, there's some, some funding has been sort of like recently sort of like pushed out into the NHS with a very sort of like clear instruction that the best way of getting the best outcomes would be to work with local authorities and community groups. Um, and that's sort of like effectively like seed funding. The, the, the more that we can sort of like see what works, the more we can go back and get some more money from the national pot to roll out that to roll that out to others. Now, I mean, I could give sort of like specific examples, but for 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 anyone, whether it's in an employer, whether it's in a whether it's in a whether it's um, in a community organisation, whether it's in a particular um, uh, uh, community, um, in any sort of like part of the country, uh, whether it's a, a, a particular religion, any anything that's almost sort of like seen almost as an interest group, that's how you can sort of like really capture and get people to listen to you and be able then to design the delivery models around that that will mean that you will get the uptake. And listening is absolutely vital. Having that feedback and having that feedback loop, not just to capture best practice or what has worked well, but to listen to concerns. Um, and where we have listened, and, and I think the programme really has listened, and where we have listened to concerns, we've been able to sort of like get ahead 
spread of issues, for example, um, people with no NHS number or um, homelessness um, or, or, the, or the concerns coming up in relation to, to Ramadan. So the, what I would sort of like say is we're listening, but people need to be talking. You need to be sort of like feeding into us. You need to be making your voices heard um, in a positive way. It's not about sort of complaining. It's about pointing it up. We won't defend the indefensible. We can't defend the unknown. We need to know so that we can get one step ahead and really start um, addressing these issues um, in a way that will make communities um, overcome their hesitancy, feel confident um, and, and, and not be complacent and really sort of like move forward to get their jabs as soon as they're in the cohort. Right. Thank you for that. Jim, I'm going to ask you, have you got anything to say re-Artfordshire? Um, well, I think I'd agree with everything you and Eleanor have just said. From our experience, there are three golden rules and four big pillars. And the three golden rules are living with COVID means everybody knows what skills they need to live, work, study and operate safely in an environment where COVID is still circulating. That's the first rule. The second rule is everybody needs to be confident that they can have the vaccine. So we need to move from vaccine hesitancy to vaccine confidence. That's the big goal. And that's that's uh, and then that brings in you address that by the big four. And the big four are structural barriers. So you, you've addressed some of the structural barriers in what you've both been talking about. So can you get to the centre? Is it culturally acceptable? Are the lists accurate? What about people who are not registered with GPs? So we've got a big GP um, campaign going on locally. The next thing is hesitancy, um, uh, which is a technical psychological term for the fact that people understandably have questions about the vaccine for multiple cultural, ethical and scientific reasons. The third thing is data. So we now monitor uptake by age and ethnicity in different bits of the county so we can tell where the gaps are. And of course, one of our gaps is in our Eastern European population who are all manual workers, none of whom are registered by GPs. Well, that's easy to solve. It's a different problem from, um, you know, the fact that staff who have cultural memories about racist actions by doctors have understandably different questions. So you have to take each population on its merits and address their issues honestly and upfront. And I think local authorities are better at doing that, to be honest. And then the final thing is the disinformation. Don't spend all your effort combating disinformation. Just pump out accurate information and build confidence because all the evidence says that you'll do a better job that way. Um, so I think local authorities on the structural barriers, the hesitancy, the data and the disinformation, give them the tools and they will do the work. And that's what I would say after, what, 30 years experience in public health? We know that there's hesitancy and we know we want to build up confidence. So how can local government help the NHS um, to address the issues of vaccine hesitancy as a key challenge throughout 2021? I think Jim's touched on some of it already. Um, and one of the key issues that arises when you the most important thing in all of this is listening and listening to populations and not making assumptions and not treating everybody as the same it's it's very easy to think that one approach will uh, work for everyone 
I'm different than other colleagues on the on the call. I'm different from my next door neighbour. I'm different. We don't all have the same questions. We don't all have the same concerns. It, there will be many, many factors that are underpinning my beliefs and my understanding and my confidence in the programme. And it, it's really important that we do have and it considered at very local level, because one of the ways that you can build confidence is actually by conversations. And it, it sometimes comes down to individual conversations with small groups or and and by trusted um, individuals. So listening is one important factor, but trust is another key factor. So it is important that people are able to have the correct information, but that also individuals, groups, parts of the communities can have those conversations with people that they trust, that they respect, that they believe and understand um, where each other are coming from on it. Um, and those are the key messages that have come back from conversations with um, groups and communities that we're having on the ground. So I think those two principles are so important. Um, alongside that, making sure that those trusted individuals have the tools, the information, the resources to actually get those messages across is really important. And so um, local authorities have a key role in this because local authorities and particularly the directors of public health and their teams um, understand and know their populations intimately. They, they know uh, where those populations are, they know the trusted individuals and they have the contacts of people who can advocate, who are champions for those communities and they know the right way um, at the right times and the right places to actually go to talk to and meet those people um, in a way that is appropriate for them culturally, socially um, and in every other way. So it's really important that we have that joint collaborative working between the NHS and our local authority and other wider stakeholder partners. So I'm going to hand over to you, Eleanor, because I know you do this on a national level. And this is the sort of granular things that we are dealing with on the ground. And um, thank you, uh, Paulette. And Julie, I think absolutely sort of like nailed it in relation to her, her answer to your earlier question. Um, and that the important thing for local authorities in, in respect to, to that is actually being about really being that showing true local leadership um, and getting those messages across and sort of like uh, doing all of those things that, that Julie said. Um, in relation to um, the question that you're asking about being able to sort of like roll out, getting those individual um, answers to people and that sort of like getting that trusted voice in a national sense. The NHS has come together with the local government associations, with, with the government departments, including MHCLG, DHSC and DCMS, to develop and share messaging with local authorities to ensure that it's a really seamless, joined up and unified voice. What you don't want to hear is hear one answer from one place and another answer from somewhere else. It's too important. We've actually got to get those particularly those health messaging about things like fertility to get those right. Um, and there's toolkits including key messaging, messaging for social care workforce, for carers and tools that support tackling the sort of information that you're talking about um, on WhatsApp and social media and that have been de developed across all of the sectors. 
So I think what, what that does is actually be able to put a resource in everybody's hands so that they can use, but that they tailor it to what they know, either about the individual or about the communities. Because what Julie said about local authorities knowing their communities, knowing the issues that will be important to them, knowing how to find them, knowing how to reach them, knowing how to talk to them is absolutely vital. But we want to make sure that we sort of like use our resources wisely. So the more we can share um, information, toolkits and resources for people just to tailor rather than to start from scratch, I think that's a really sort of like good and joined up use of resources across um, the vaccination uh, uh, landscape. Brilliant. Eleanor, um, Eleanor, I'm going to ask you one other question at this point. How do we make sure everyone has equal access to the vaccine? I think the, the, the issue of um, accessibility is, is an important one because it is actually sort of like goes to, to the heart of that hesitancy. Because if you make vaccine available um, and people don't come forward, there's every danger that you just you know move on to the next cohort. And that's not what the programme is doing at all. And um, I think there are other issues um, that, that, that both Jim and Julia are in a better position from a health perspective to be able to answer. But from a logistical perspective, making sure that the vaccine is available for, for all of the cohorts um, to, to be able to sort of like take them up in 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 order and not allow um uh, areas that for whatever reason could really sort of like rush through and get everybody vaccinated just because they don't have hesitancy or just because they don't have barriers and um, would, would would actually be unfair and unequitable and we are very very conscious of that within the program julie could i ask you do you want to add any points to that what I um, would add to that is that um, access is a, an issue and quite often when we're seeing lower uptaking groups, there's an assumption that it's hesitancy when actually it's it's a, more of a practical structural reason or or a factor associated with the, the individual. They might have large families, they might not have access to transport, lots of different factors coming. So we need to look at this in the round. Um, but one of the things that I would say is that we also need to remember that this is not the only programme, um, that we have a lot of experience from other programmes, from the screening programmes, from the immunisation programmes. We've got 23 vaccine preventable diseases. We've got a lot of previous experience and knowledge and understanding from Jim's behavioural insights through to um, our nice guidance on improving access in other immunisation programmes. So we need to build on all of this knowledge and experience and make sure that we don't forget what we already know. We need to apply all of those, including bespoke models for delivery, um, get, taking the vaccines out to people, um, making sure that they're delivered in a place that they can both access, but they can also um, feel comfortable in receiving them in. So there are many, many things that we need to consider. But again, our local authority colleagues are partnered with us in delivering those other immunisation programmes. Um, and also in in the screening programmes. So this is something that we do as, as normal practice. We just need to ensure that it's all built into and remembered when we're delivering this particular programme. That's fantastic, Julie. Jim, do you want to round that off? Because that just gives us a full picture. I, I think there's two important lessons that will come out of this. Because um, Eleanor has talked about multiple capabilities in local government. 
And Julie has talked about the multiple capabilities that the public health family, you know, PHE and others have. Um, so the first lesson that will come out of this is that we kind of forgot that that public health expertise was there in the early rollout of this, you know, at the national level. I mean, I saw comms coming out from national that I just thought actually were needed nuancing and, you know, that people like Julie um, and people in my area who've forgotten more about vaccine and screening uptake than, than, than most of us will ever know. And, and it's crucial that we use that expertise, which is psychological, public health, medical and scientific on uptake. And, and we, we fail to use that at our peril for uptake because the disinformation and the myths will fill the vaccine. The other second massive lesson is that local government has brought a team of teams approach. So you've got public health plus logistics plus elected member leadership plus social care plus plus I could go on all day. Um, and um, those have been really neatly encapsulated in a series of case studies on the LGA website on vaccination case studies. And for me, those are the two big lessons. The, the technical expertise has been there for years and the new abilities of local government to get rare heads around this in a way that actually we haven't seen in vaccination programmes historically. Um, those two together can only bode for the health, well for the health of the population. Yeah, I think Jim is is right that we've learned we've learned an awful lot from the programme. Um, we've recognised what we already had um, and brought that into the programme. We've been able to build on that. We've got better collaboration. I think we've got some really, really good developments in data um, that we haven't had for other programmes. And we, although that took a little time, it's, it's now we've got equality tools. We're able to drill down. If we can build that into our other population health programmes, then that is a massive opportunity to support our our populations going forward so yes there's been a lot of challenges but i think building that technical expertise the teams teams and teams approach and all of the other structural changes and support that we've had around this program into others then that's a that is a, a really big opportunity to build better and and we want to build better as a result of the covid um, pandemic that that's one of our general aims. How, how do we engage with communities, particularly the underserved population, such as rough sleepers, people who are homeless, and to, for them to take up the vaccine? Because those are specific groups that sometimes, if we're not careful, we do miss them. So can I go back to you as a start point, please, Julie? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I will come back to the listening and trust principles um, to start with. We need to understand where where the populations are and how we can get to them, who they trust, etc. as we mentioned before. Um, and I think as part of answering this, I'd, I'd like to give an example of where I've seen this work really well. Um, and that's in um, one of our, our um, towns in the southwest, um, down in Plymouth. Um, and where what what happened there was that the the local authority worked with colleagues from MHCLG from with our all our LRF partners our health partners and actually 
brought together a specific session for our um, homeless population within reach of um, a centre. They created a, a bespoke specific um, vaccination um, session or sessions for this population. Um, they wrapped around that um, the GP um, service to be able to do additional health checks. Um, they brought in the street vet, they brought in people to provide food and other services. So a whole um, wraparound approach, um, enabling individuals to feel comfortable with people that they, they knew, advocacy services they knew, they put on transport from the homeless hostels to actually bring people into the service and they vaccinated 263 um, individuals from the homeless population in, in um, their session. So that that would be how I think you need to engage at a very, very local level with people who understand the services, know where the people are um, and, and then actually put in all of the elements that you need to be able to facilitate those people coming to the service or, or if you can't, taking it to them. Um, but also making it worthwhile for them to go to their, the service beyond the vaccination, because we know people who are in underserved populations have other health needs as well. So you can maximise the benefit of this programme by piggybacking it on to lots of other things that could be beneficial as well. That's spot on. And taking it over to Jim. Jim, I am a great believer that sometimes the hesitancy, as was highlighted earlier, is around the issue of people not being able to access the, the vaccine, but also is it the right people sharing the message? Because um, I had this discussion with a group of people last week that said to me, well, it doesn't have to be faith leaders or, or others. Perhaps we need people more locally. But my argument was we had to start somewhere. And faith leaders were probably the easiest group to bring together at the beginning of all of this. And as we've gone down, as Julia said, we've become more granular. So is there anything you want to add that we could be doing, um, especially with that homeless cohort and people like your Bangladeshi communities, your Romani communities that seem to really struggle to engage at the moment? Jim, over to you. So... Uh I think you're spot on. The, the first thing is do not be de-skilled by this because local government wrote the book on community development and we wrote the book on accessing hard to reach populations. We've got the skills to do it. Um, so it's a case of systematically identify the, the populations and then systematically work out whether it's hesitancy or it's structural barriers. And it's never just one, it's always both or more. And, and structural barriers are, are worse in many ways than hesitancy. Um, and then just develop a plan. As Julie says, go hyperlocal. And if you look at the case studies on the LGA website, Sandwell built an army of disinformation counter advocates. Brilliant, countering hesitancy. Um, Swindon actually used acceptable venues. Um, you've got examples of, of Wigan where they actually trial run COVID clinics that were acceptable to different communities. 
In Hertfordshire, we've systematically identified every rough sleeper and every homeless person and set up special clinics. Um, we've also kind of um, organised transport from Watford Borough Council for people who can't drive or can't otherwise get to a vaccine clinic. Um, and we're doing significant work um, with communities around hesitancy. So we've got BAME doctors working with BAME social care staff on their hesitancy. Um, now, it was local government that came up with all of those ideas because we understand community development, but they were all a mix of, there was a bit of structural, there was a bit of hesitancy, and there's a bit of, um, you know, matching that up with where council capabilities can sort it. Yeah, we know how to do this. What what I would what I would add to what um, Julie and Jim have said have said is that there are countless examples um, out there, and particularly as we move into sort of like phase two, we're going to need targeted work based on specific groups that we identify and um, that need um, help with access um, or or barriers, um, and that we can learn from the from what people have already done. So Jim's given us a number of examples. Um, I would point out stuff like Bradford and their young ambassadors. They have 22 young ambassadors that he, that reach over a thousand young people a week, laying the ground about when young people sort of like answering their questions and laying the ground for when young people will 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 be will need to be taking up um, the vaccine. Um, huge amounts of work in Dorset and Bath with um, traveller communities, which will be really helpful for other people. Um, um, and Jim had said about what they did in Hertfordshire in relation to homelessness, but they also did that in Oldham and wave one. They registered um, all of their homeless population with GPs. Just because you didn't do it in wave one doesn't mean that it's too late not to do it now. So we've really got to push out that learning. And I would actually draw people's attention to the LGA website and the, and the fantastic examples are on there. But we've also got to do more in relation to capturing this and moving it forward. What I would say is it's not just about building back better. We've got to build back fairer. And there are huge, huge lessons learned in this about how we can make all of those programmes, all of those 23 vaccination programmes that Julie mentioned, make that fairer for everybody, because the communities that are not being reached early in relation to this vaccination programme are the ones that are that were already sort of like left behind in those other vaccination programmes. Um, and it's an, an ill wind that blows nobody any good. There is fantastic good that can come out of the the the, the, the effort and the fantastic work um, that's been done and the learning that's come out over the course of the last year. Fantastic. Now it's my last question, I'm afraid, but we do, I do want to ask this before we round this up. How do we build vaccine confidence in, young, in the younger cohort and tackle, tackle misinformation? The reason I'm asking this is because lots of younger people don't necessarily become very ill, but they're going into families with vulnerable people and they're the ones then becoming ill. So how can we build vaccine confidence in this group, which I feel will be the group that we will have to do the most work? So can I start with Eleanor, please? Um, I, I think I think I mentioned about Bradford and how they had sort of like thought early on about those young ambassadors, and I think that's a really fantastic model for other people to to follow on from. I think that the messaging around the importance for the whole for the whole community, and also the impact that the the vac that the, the the pandemic has had on young people and on their education, on their employment prospects, means that the that the the messages are there and um, to be given that that. 
young people are young now, but then you know they, they'll they'll get older and they'll, they'll actually realise the impact that their behaviour and their um and 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 their ability to be able to sort of like join in and move through society in a way that is really really um that will be really important to them is absolutely vital. And that learning a lesson young about the importance of health, the importance of well-being, the importance of community engagement, and the importance of having that taking your position in relation to society and taking ownership and control um, of, of your own sort of like health and those of others around you is a really important message in learning for us to be able to take that opportunity to really get that message across to young people. And for them, I don't think it's about hesitancy, it's more about complacency. And, and we really have got to sort of like work hard, collectively work hard to get that message across um, to young people about the importance for everybody for them to sort of like be part um, of, of that movement and, and, and part of that approach. I think we've got 40 years of experience from working HIV um, that shows us um, that first of all get identify local community the, the communities relevant work with them use their trusted voices um, and actually empower them to give the message over. And young people are, you know, most young people these days have got scientific minds where they can understand this complexity of this stuff and have a better instinct for disinformation than most of us adults. Now, there are very few things I like out of American public health models, but two things I do like. One is the vaccine confidence programme that they're rolling out in America for healthcare staff. And I think we could copy that for young people here and get young people to lead it. And the second thing is, in the US, they do trusted voices. So barbers in America actually are the people that young men, particularly young black men, will listen to, actually go through those trusted voices and train them. So again, there, there's a lexicon we can use here on this. Um, and uh, I think we should start pushing on that. If we play our cards right, when we come to revaccinate people, which we may need to do in this pandemic, or we may need to do for the next pandemic, because there will be another one. They're coming every 10 years now, uh, um, these, these, these new uh, uh, animal emerging viruses. Um, we need to learn the sheer capability that local government has harnessed alongside the NHS and the pub and the, all the kind of technical and scientific families in Public Health England and others. And among that will be that the sheer capabilities of local authorities can improve vaccine uptake um, uh, and vaccine access. That's a massive realisation. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So as Eleanor and you said, Paulette, start somewhere and work out from there. Um, but start with populations and listening and, you know, dig out the old communities development textbooks from the 1970s and dust them off because the principles work here. Thank you, Jim. That's excellent. Um, Julie, you've got the final word. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I would just um, echo some of what Jim has said in terms of 
um, using trusted voices in the community. Um, we do within some of our screening programmes, cervical programme, we use hairdressers to, to spread the message and to encourage people to come forward for screening. Um, so we can use some of these um, mechanisms, some of these ways of working with vaccination programmes as well. Um, I think it's it is important that we are going to have to build this into our normal business as usual um, because as Jim said it's it's going it's a marathon and these things are going to arise again so we know that we're going to have to look at this alongside our flu program um, alongside other programs um, and ensure that we can deliver all of this at the same time without tipping over the services that are there um, for other things. We need our GP services, we need. So we're going to need to be smart in the way that we do this, but I think the key to it is collaboration, um, working together and building on our structures, processes and the ways that we work together um, as a team. In terms of the, the young people, I mean, I'm, I'm quite hopeful with the young people and I think we shouldn't underestimate how much young people care about other people, about their own families and their grandparents and how much they actually want to get back to normal and they want to be able to travel and they want to be able to visit people safely, not just safely from their own perspective, but they're worried about transmitting something to somebody that they care about um, and that they love. So um, so I think I'd like to end on that point because we're, we're down on young people quite often and I, I feel very positive about them that they, they can be ambassadors. They're, they don't believe what's on the internet. They're very savvy at picking out what's right and what's wrong. Um, we just need to help them with that. And I think we might be pleasantly surprised when we get down to those levels in the cohorts. Um, I certainly um, hope so. Well, we've got to end on a positive note. And for me, what I'd like to say to end is, I am really proud of our the local authorities across this country as reacted throughout this process we have had to learn new ways of working we have had to learn how to work in collaboration to change um the way we we do things but I believe that local government has really played a massive role throughout the the pandemic but through this vaccine rollout I know we will continue to play our part. I know we will continue to be phenomenal. We will lead from the front. We will support where needed. We will carry where needed. But lo the local authorities across this country and public health and social care have absolutely been phenomenal. We have to remain positive. We have to remain alert. We have to understand that people have hesitancy because they don't understand everything they're being told. Once you tell them and once they get it, they will do the right thing. But also for people like myself, I cannot wait to go on another holiday. So on that note, I'm going to say, Jim, it's been a pleasure as usual, Jim McManus. 
Julie, I've not met you before, but Julie Yates, you have been a star. And Eleanor, 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 you have given the national perspective in such a way that I couldn't have asked for any more. So you've made a wonderful panel. It's been a brilliant session and thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to the Forget What You Think You Know podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. We look forward to seeing you next time.